my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Radio presents Podcast Insider, a weekly discussion with the biggest names and influencers in podcasting. Want to learn the secret psych-up ritual Scrub star Zach Braff and Donald Faison use before every fake doctor's real friends taping? How Vice News parachutes into war zones to rescue journalists from life-threatening situations? Or why Keegan-Michael Key and Blumhouse believe 3D audio is the future of storytelling? Whether you're a newbie trying to break into the podcast game or an exec trying to refine your playbook, Podcast Insider is the easiest way to keep your pulse on the industry. Hey, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us again for this week's installment of the iHeart Podcast Speaker Series. This is easily my favorite part of the week. I get to sit down for about 30 minutes with an incredible creator who's jumped into the podcast medium with iHeart, and not just making podcasts, but somebody that's, we think, pushing the medium a little farther and just brings a whole new level to this medium. It's been an interesting to put it mildly 15 16 17 months for all of us and for podcasting it's been no exception this medium that has 120 million americans a month now listening over 80 million americans a week now listening to podcasts actually just continued to grow across quarantine as people discovered new content found new friends and hosts and compelling stories and one of the best and biggest movers and shakers in this industry, actually, in the last six or so months was Colin Cowherd. Colin is no stranger to the iHeartMedia family, one of the most thought-provoking, best sports talk talents in the world, certainly on broadcast radio, and now 
a pretty big deal in podcasting. And we'll get into why and what it is you're aiming to do, Colin. But first of all, thank you so much for taking a half hour to stop down and talk to us. Oh, I love it. I love the opportunity to kind of promote podcasting just as a business. I really do think we're still in the earlier middle innings as it continues to grow and evolve and get smarter and the quality of the video gets better. So we're just now, I think really kind of, we're moving into the fourth inning and iHeart's been on the forefront, incredibly supportive, promoting marketing sales with mine and to that, you know, Julie Talbots deserves a tip of the cap because she really understood when I came to iHeart with this, I think the initial pushback by corporations is, whoa, 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 one of our talents leaving us. And I said, whoa, whoa, no, 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 I'm not. We're going to do a partnership here. So I kind of, I, that's how I pitched it. And that's what I meant. And we're three months into it. And I'm just really proud of everybody. So you clearly have a job and you're one of the best in the country, in the world, at this job. I'll like cut to the end first. Why did you suddenly want another job in, in podcast? And I should sort of frame this up for people. You announced not just that you were going to launch a show. You already have one of the biggest podcasts in the world. It's The Herd. Distributed as a podcast every day, drives millions of downloads a month. You came at iHeartMedia and said, I want to level up in a big way and launch a new slate of shows, a brand called The Volume. Where did this come from? Well, you know, I tell young people all the time, like platforms, don't be loyal to a platform. If somebody tells me this platform is dying and this is growing, then be loyal to your audience. They may be just moving to digital or podcasting. So to me, I've been in this business 30 years. The platforms have changed. I used to be on local television doing local sports. And then ESPN killed that job. I used to do just an AM radio show, but I thought I need to augment that with a simulcast so you can see me and hear me. So I went to iHeart and Fox and I looked at the podcast space and during the pandemic, we were holding up with ratings. And then I got a call from iHeart. That may have been Dan Metter, a top salesperson. He said, you're actually 108% over last year and there's no games and there's no traffic. And I thought, wow, we're really rolling here. And I'd seen comparative numbers with other hosts at other networks and our network. And I thought there's advertisers that may not be able to get on our show. Why wouldn't I want to give them to my competition and other networks? So I went to Julie Talbot and I said, listen, there's going to be inventory here. We're oversold. What if I create a new inventory capsule and we can share in revenue? Otherwise, these just disappear into the ether. They go to our rivals. So I said, I said, let me create a podcast network if I can own it because I want to be putting in the time. I said, don't be afraid. I'm not going anywhere. I, and, I, and Julie's initial take was, you're going to leave me. And I said, you know how many talented people could have left you in 20 years? None of them left. Julie, people like you, we're not leaving. I said, what we're doing is we're creating a business together and this is going to keep me engaged and interested. But it really started from a, well, hell, I may have too many spots for the availability. So let's just create another platform. And people were doing it. Bill Simmons had done it and just sold it. And uh, to make a long story longer, I guess, the difference was with Bill Simmons, there's scarcity. You have to go to Ringer to get him. With Barstool, you have to go to Barstool to get Dave Portnoy. With me, it was different. And so what I said to Eric Shanks at Fox and Julie Talbot at iHeart was, listen, why can't I work at two great corporations, build this while I'm here? It doesn't mean I'm jettisoning the companies. 
But I do believe there's a niche market here, and I'm not sure it's so niche, that a broadcaster that's got substantial platforms can't start a third. Now, I do lack the scarcity of others, but I believe as this platform ascends, like gaming and podcasting, these are ascending businesses, that there's all sorts of ears and people available that haven't gone to podcasts yet. So as my iHeart Heard podcast is available, and I'm on FS1 every day, that doesn't mean I can't build a business in the middle of it. And we're not as young and we're more advertising friendly than Barstool. We're not as Hollywood quite as Ringer. These are two very substantial businesses, but I believe there's an alley between them for smart, thoughtful, authentic, raw, funny broadcasting or podcasting right square in the middle of it. So I think Julie very quickly and Eric Shanks quickly saw the potential and gave me a green light. It doesn't surprise me that Julie was uh, in some way, shape or form a part of this because she's such a legend and awesome, uh, just a great partner. But I wanna go back to sort of you in quarantine, thinking of different ways to expand, to tell stories, to keep going and sort of following where the momentum was. It's not all you cover, but a lot of what you cover is sports. And when you looked out at that world a year, year and a half ago, I cannot imagine an industry, maybe the film and TV industry, but I can't really imagine another industry where you must've just had this moment of like, what happens now? What was going through your head as you saw last March, last April, the world really, really changing fast and not for the better, but especially sports. I mean, these guys can't compete. They figured out a way to compete, but it was clunky and difficult. How do you cover it? How do you deal with it emotionally? At the end of the day, you love this industry. Yeah. You're passionate about it. You're a fan first and foremost. What's going through your head March 2020? Well, two things. My dad once told me when I was a kid, recessions are garage sales for the prepared. Be available, be prepared. And when bad things happen, you will seize market share. And I also learned that from ESPN back in 2008. 13 years ago, the recession hit and ESPN was well capitalized and really started gobbling up market share and game contracts, league contracts right after that. And I remember having a conversation with the the president of ESPN and he said, whenever you have a recession, there's a flight to quality that advertisers will leave except for the very best. And so when the pandemic hit, I went to my staff on radio and television at iHeart and at Fox, and I said, this will be the biggest six months of our lives. People are going to cut budget. Shows are going to get bad. Lazy hosts will not be covered by games. We're going to steal market share. This is our great opportunity. And so I looked at the pandemic and I thought, I went back to what my dad said, recessions are garage sales for the prepared. This is the moment. And I don't think we've ever worked harder as a staff. And I just told everybody, trust me, this six months, a lot of local affiliates, they can't afford their local hosts. They'll turn us on. We're free. We're going to gain. And we gained about 50 to 60 affiliates in that first six months of the pandemic. And we haven't lost them. And so I'm mid fifties now. So I've gone through three or four recessions in my life. And I've always been a pretty good with my money and frugal. And I've dumped more money in the market within three months of all those recessions. Because I believe in America, I believe in capitalism, and I believe that our bad times don't last long. 
they're really unique opportunities. So when the pandemic hit, I told Joy Taylor, I said, one day we had done like eight weeks of no sports and we did a show and it was really good. And I looked at her and I said, nobody did a show like us today in America. This was one of our best shows. There's no games. There's nothing happening. And I said, this is going to be eventually, bizarrely, a really great time for us. And it was. We've gotten stronger since the pandemic hit. Did it involve you boosting the team a lot? Like you talk about that morning you just mentioned where you have a team, they must have turned you at moments and been like, Colin, I don't know what to talk about today. <laughs> how, did well, you, people, how did you push through that? Well, people were losing their jobs. I mean, everybody was losing their jobs. And my takeaway is guys, I don't wanna lose any people here. We don't wanna lose any jobs. You know, I remember one of my companies came to employees and said, hey, we, we've got to give you some time off. And I, for one person, I reached into my pocket and said, listen, I know you're going through a tough time. We're going to get through this. I know this is dark, but I, I just kept telling the staff, I know this is hard to believe, but I trust that iHeart is going to support me. I trust that Fox is going to support me. And they did. Now, <laughs> there were a lot of times I do shows and I, my producers were all on phones. And, you know, I mean, there was a lot of the Murdochs were and, and iHeart were way ahead of other corporations in terms of, I mean, I've had more disinfectant on my hands <laughs> than any talk show host in America. I am the cleanest talk show host in the history of the industry. Physically. But, you know, I've been, I get tested every other day, but I just kept telling the staff, guys, we're not a fourth place team. We're a first place team in our division. And this is a rough time for the industry. We have a close-knit family and it, there's a lot of trust. And, you know, we've talked about this more than once as a staff off the air. It was, we knew we were doing good work. We absolutely knew there were no cars on the road. But, you know, my takeaway was we probably lost 75% of the cars on the road. But those cars on the road had to turn something on. Yeah. And it was going to be us. So what about personally? How did your life change? Did you find yourself like a lot of us hanging out with kids more, virtual classrooms, binging a lot more Netflix, a lot of Queen's Gambit? What were you doing during quarantine? Well, I was very lucky. Years ago, my wife and I, we were both divorced and we married each other. So we've always had that sort of divorced guilt where we want to make sure our kids, it doesn't affect our kids. So years and years ago, we uh, built a little ski house in Park City, Utah. And it's where we, it's where the family meets, all our families, our connected families. And so it was just very, very lucky. We'd had it for a couple of years. And so I just sent the dogs and my wife and the kids. I said, you guys go to Utah for three months. And this was when it was really bad, like March, April, May, early June. And I said, I'll either drive or figure out flights. You guys go. Thankfully, we've got all these you know, ways to reach FaceTime, how to reach family. So for about three and a half months, my life was basically work and FaceTime with my family. And I'd fly out on Fridays, same Delta flight every week. And, but I just said, guys, we built this thing. We got lucky three and a half months, may have been four. I'll come visit you. And it really allowed me to pour myself into work. No distractions. My family was safe. So, you know, I talk to myself three hours a day. So that's a weird profession, right? So I'm okay by myself. There's a, you know, I wrote about this in my first book. There's a big difference between lonely and alone. And I'm good alone. I don't get lonely that often. 
I'm in my own head all day. You know, I'm talking all day just to me. So, and every radio host in the country listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. You're always figuring out the next segment. So I was alone, but not lonely. And, you know, it was really gratifying when I did go visit my family. Every weekend was a party. Every weekend was wonderful. You know, Utah up in the mountains, it's pretty lonely, but for the pandemic, that served us well. There weren't many people there. Where does that come from? That not lonely, but fine being alone. Do you remember as a kid that sort of being taught to you or are you just learning it by observation? Not everybody's like that, but you're right. Broadcast radio stars are. A lot of podcasters are. Where did that come from for you? Hey, this is weird. I think it's genetic. My son has it. Uh, oh, my really? son's 15 totally happy, alone. He can be good with people. You know, I remember telling the late Larry King one time, I said, um, we were talking about this and I said, when I go for jogs, the only time it's uncomfortable, my lungs are never uncomfortable. It's when people run by me and see me talking to myself. And he goes, kid, you were dropped on your head as a child. This, <laughs> he goes, and I said, Larry, you have guests. I said, I have to fill so much space. The late Rush Limbaugh. I mean, what Rush really did is a broadcasting achievement, three hours and no guests. So I don't know where it comes from, but I do think, you know, I ruminate I, I, as I go for jogs every other day. What do you think about? You know, I'm not thinking about jogging. I'm thinking about how did I react to this and how can I see it differently? So, you know, I, I, I never knew really where it came from. I didn't think about it much. I've had, I remember as a kid being the same way, but w once I had my son, and I see the same thing, kind of talking to himself sometimes. I talked to Bob Costas once about this. And he goes, oh, no, I do it. He goes, yeah, I'll talk to myself from time to time. And I said, I don't know what it is, but broadcasters have it. A lot of them I've met have it. That is fascinating. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic.
Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. So let me dig into a, two or three things that you are known for. Some of this comes from just mythology that I think happens to be true. I'm going to check. And some of it from your staff just saying, yeah, that's pretty true. You're known as a prepaholic. Legend, I don't think it's legend. I think it's true. Has it that you're in the studio two, three, four hours before every show prepping? And that's not normal. I mean, I think broadcast radio stars prep, sure, but you probably do it more. Where does that come from, that kind of rigor? I'm glad you do it, but it's over and above. Where does that come from? Well, I mean, I've worked since I was like 15 or 16. My parents worked. When I first got in this business, the one thing I noticed about, and I'll just say sports talk radio because I was more of a TV guy initially, there was a lot of rambling. So I kind of made a promise to myself. I believe you have to take the audience somewhere every segment. They're all mini stories. And you can't just ad lib stories. You can ad lib a joke, but I feel indebted to the audience. You've given me 11 minutes. You work hard. I owe you an 11 minute story with a beginning, middle and conclusion. Because we have to remember, I don't get somebody for three hours. That's 4% of my audience. I get them for 11 minutes. In LA, maybe 20 because of the traffic. But in a lot of small towns, you're giving me 11 minutes as you as a school teacher drive from home to your school. All I have to do is tell one or two great stories. And then I believe you will come to me more often because I either enlighten or entertain you. If I waste segments, and that's the one segment I get you. You've never heard of me. You screw the radio up, you turn a different, who's this guy? And all of a sudden you hear me, it takes one story to go, what station is that? Oh, I'm gonna listen to him tomorrow. So I just feel like I owe the audience 11 minutes. That's what I owe them. You're giving me your time. You deserve the right for me to have taken your time seriously. And I think that goes back to my parents, how they thought we didn't mess around. I don't, I never missed a day of school being sick. Like it, it wasn't that my parents guilted me into it, but it was just like, put your head down and work through it. My, I, I'm a divorced kid. I didn't have a lot of money in high school. I remember wearing the same shoes in high school and a PE teacher saying, kid, you need new shoes. Oh, those mm. things are turning black. They were white tennis shoes. And it was like, I didn't even notice. It was like, they fit. 
<laughs> what do I care? They fit. You know, I grew, I grew up in a little different culture, you know, that America didn't have. I mean, it used to be if you went to a Sheraton in the 70s, that was uptown, right? Now there's, I mean, good God, Airbnb, there's resorts. There, I mean, you know, like it's different now. Like private, private was for like the CEO of when I was a kid, Boeing. Who flies private? Now they've got these things. I mean, it's insane. People don't understand it. In the 70s, if you had money, I mean, I can remember as a kid, on the coast of Washington state, going to like Capitol Lake in Olympia, about an hour and a half from my house. And I remember somebody saying, oh, that's where, you know, I forget the Booth Gardner, whoever the governor of the state was. And I remember his house on the lake being manicured and it stood out and I was all these beautiful flowers and be like, wow, that's wealthy. Now you go to any decent, like all the houses are, everybody's got flowers and it's just a different culture in America. There's much more money. There's more opportunities. And so, you know, I grew up in a culture that, you know, I tell my kids all the time, like crown molding and granite countertops just crushes, <laughs> it crushes desperation. My kids are comfortable. You know, the minute you do crown molding, ah, crap. Yeah. These kids are never going to work like I did, but that's okay. Do you worry about that with your own kids? I mean, first of all, I'll go back to you as a kid. Did you want that wealth that you saw in the governor's house or whatever it was? Oh, I was a divorced kid. I remember a, a college professor saying to me, because I wanted to be in radio, I wanted to do play-by-play -play and television. And he said, he goes, well, there's no money in radio. And I remember at the time saying, Larry King and Paul Harvey make money. Mm -hmm. Vin Scully makes money. I don't buy that argument. And I'll tell you a story. I remember when I was a kid, I read the newspaper, Seattle Times, Seattle PI. And I went to my local newspaper. It was the Aberdeen Daily World. It was so depressing and so gray. And there was a ceiling tile that was coming down and the coffee smelled old. And I remember walking in and just people didn't look happy. And then about a month later, because I was, I was getting out of high school and moving into college, my dad had gone to college with the president of King TV in Seattle, Ansel Payne, the late Ansel Payne. So he set me up to go just visit for a day. So I drove up my clunky car and I walked into the King TV newsroom and there was a cabriolet in the parking lot and a beautiful anchor woman walked out of it. And I was like, I like that life. These people are happier. I'm 18 and I remember seeing that. And I walked into the newsroom and people were happy and they were joking and somebody was having a birthday and there was a cake and it was optimistic and hopeful. And I just remember thinking like my life's sad enough. I'm yeah. a divorced kid. I'm, a, I'm on the beach of Washington state. It's gray, it's wet. And here I went in a summer, it was like July or August in this King TV in Seattle. And it was just big and flowers and bright. And I thought, in that moment, I'm like, I'm not going to be a newspaper guy. I want to be a television guy. It's more fun. Yeah. And I, you know, I saw, I know that's so simplistic, but those kind of images when you're young, they're profound. This rigor that you bring to your own stuff. So thinking about the content you put out there in the world and these 11 minute chunks of like as perfect as you can make it. Does it make it impossible for you to enjoy other people's stuff? Because <laughs> you're constantly thinking like, it wasn't the best 11 minutes. No, because I think comedians, Jerry Seinfeld is very precise. Yeah. But Jerry Seinfeld loves Colin Quinn, who's less precise, but hysterical. Yeah, I mean, a joke's a joke regarding, you know, I mean, Chris Rock is like Ali. I mean, he is performing, right? Seinfeld 
is very precise. Colin Quinn and Robin Williams sounded like they just ad-libbed everything, although they didn't. But funny is funny. So I turn on radio all the time and go, oh, that's interesting. I'm more into interesting. It doesn't have to be my style. I don't want to make it sound like I think we do this. I mean, Dan Levitar doesn't have my style at all. It's almost sometimes contrarian to sports. But he can be wildly entertaining. I mean, I think as long as you're loyal to your own style, Levitard sounds like that, Rome sounds like that, I sound like this, that's what it should be. It should be a kaleidoscope of shows. I can be a little too intense for some people. You know, other shows are too silly. To each their own. Like, I can remember when I lived out east and worked at ESPN, Mike and the Mad Dog were not in their prime, but they were a big deal. And I'm not somebody who watches or cares about regular season baseball, but they would do 20-minute segments on a Yankees dilemma. It was fascinating. Couldn't turn it off. They were, you know, Mike's grumpy and Russo's out of his gourd, and they're going back and forth. And I remember telling buddies, I'm like, oh, I get why it's so popular. It just, it's unique. It's authentic. It's raw. Sometimes they sounded like they were brothers. Other times it was just, it works. Like what Paul Harvey doesn't sound anything like the late Rush Limbaugh. You know, you go down a food aisle. Yeah. There's a lot of different soups. There's a lot of yeah. different sodas. Good is good. Yeah, in their own way, they're perfect, each in their own way. You've nicknamed yourself and been nicknamed a little bit America's Honesty Broker. <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, I, I you want to layer on all kinds of stuff like in a world of fake news, and but I don't want to layer anything on. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, everybody lies to everybody. People having affairs, politicians, bosses. And so that's just something uh, I think it's just perfectly obnoxious. It is so obnoxious. And so when I say it, you know, I, I say it clearly tongue in cheek and Joy Taylor, she just rolls her eyes at me. It is one of the things Bill O'Reilly did. And I thought he did it really well. It was the first person I noticed. And I think he was more, I'm doing it as more mischievous. He did it more calculated, and I think with sometimes a little more sinister <laughs> intentions, but it was, you can't trust the media. Trust me, they're crazy. But that's how I'm positioning myself, is these lying scoundrels, I am America's honesty broker. The difference is, it's tongue-in-cheek. It's just absurdly condescending, and as I say it, I always say it with a smile. Like, you get the joke. It's a joke. Hopefully, 90% of people get it's a joke. But, you know, when Stephen Colbert did a show on The Daily Show and acted like an arch conservative, yeah. he's the greatest character in the history of news. It was brilliant. This is almost a nod to O'Reilly as these people are scoundrels. This is the place you come for the real dirt. They're the media. I'm not the media. <laughs> somehow, <laughs> somehow I'm carved out. Okay, so let's end on podcasting. We talked about this. You've launched not just a show or two, but a venture yeah. called The Volume. I'll just keep it simple. What does podcasting let you do? Why the focus on it that maybe broadcast radio doesn't let you do? What do you think? Yeah, it's really urgency. Clippers make a trade. 90 seconds later, you get digital downloads. You know, the easiest thing about creating this, there's no marketing costs. It's called Twitter. There's no real estate costs. I have no studio. This is my office. What I have found in the podcast space, be authentic, be raw, be urgent. Wow, something, ha I don't have to wait. And, and this is a really important fact. Big corporations, iHeart and Fox have schedules. I don't. And where they may think, oh boy, 
cowherd's going to eat away at our market share. That is not true. The opposite happens. My numbers are up at Fox since I started this. My numbers are up at iHeart. The myth to this is that, oh, Colin's got a podcast, we'll ditch his other stuff. No, that is not true. There's a reason Starbucks and McDonald's, they're available on a lot of street corners. It doesn't hurt the other stores. I want to be top of mind. And what broadcast companies can't do is give you that 12 minute urgency. Oh crap, LeBron's hurt. Oh, Colin to the rescue. Colin's got a digital take. So whereas I think sometimes companies' initial reaction is, oh Jesus, Cowherd's going to that. The audience will move to that. No, no, I'm not taking from my shows. I'm trying to take from other shows. It's just another Starbucks. It's another McDonald's on a corner, except this one I can do at night. I can do in the morning. I can do in the weekend. I don't need a studio. So to me, it empowers my partners. It doesn't weaken them. We've seen this time and time again. When a creator creates or communicates with audiences across a bunch of channels, as opposed to one, certainly radio and podcasting, it lifts both boats. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. You're super serving super fans, but even beyond that, it just lifts the whole audience up. Well, also, it used to be it was on my terms. It's now on your terms. You will get me when you want to. I have to be more available. If I'm not available, you move on to somebody else. You're not going to sit around and wait for me to get to my comfortable studio. My job is to be available. And if you want to go to iHeart, I just got off the air. You know, like last week, I did a show. I forget what show it was. It may have been Friday. We had two stories break. Well, I'm on the air at iHeart and Fox as they break. So my podcast Friday, boom, goes up. So sometimes it benefits my partners, which by the way, I'm in business with. Sometimes it benefits volume, which I'm also a partner with iHeart. So I've got to be available. Nobody's sitting around waiting for me to always get on the air. A lot of crap breaks. I mean, I had an Aaron Rodgers story break three minutes after I got off the air three weeks ago. I literally shot something in my car and put it on the volume because it was simple. And what do you know? It was the most downloaded thing I did that month. So I've got to be available to you. You, the consumer, now control this, not me. Well, it's awesome, man. I think thanks to you, you are more available than everywhere. And I think it's a very cool way to think about the volume to this new podcast network you've launched because it's not just your stuff. You're also recruiting, developing, yes. producing a bunch of stuff too. So it's going to be awesome. Thanks for the half hour to give us time to talk through it. It's been incredibly interesting to see sort of where you come from psychologically, professionally, and where you're going with the volume. And thanks for being a partner of iHearts, especially for my own purposes, for launching the volume with us. It's going to be an awesome playground to see you make a bunch of new stuff. And so deeply appreciate it, Colin. We're only three months old, but I, you know, it's one of those knock on wood moments in life that you have all these partnerships in life and you hope they work out. And as you know, some do and some don't. So I feel like incredibly lucky for the people who understood really quickly this was going to be something we could all win. And I and I tell young broadcasters, you want to win, but they got to win too. Like do the read in sales, take the call in sales. Like don't be that guy that's difficult. Like they need to win too. Right. If they win and they buy a new car, if your show's doing well, that left tire you paid for. So like <laughs> help them to, they'll help you. Companies don't want to get rid of people whose shows are sold out. That's not the game. 
That's exactly right. I think that those are words to live by. Really appreciate it, man. And everybody, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Last half hour has been awesome. We are here every Thursday around noon Eastern. Deeply appreciate it. Colin, have a great day. Have a great week. We'll be looking out for the volumes next launch. Thanks again. All right. Thank you so much. Podcast Insider is a production of iHeartRadio. You can find more from the biggest names in podcasting on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.